This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is not the Messiah, just two very naughty boys. That's right. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, Dr. Nirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. How are you? Very good, Captain. How are you? I'm exceptionally well, mate. Now, you might be wondering why I used that Life of Brian reference, and that is because, well, our first item on the agenda is the RBA looking on the bright side of life. And I will save you and our listeners a bit of a sing-along, but for those who know the Life of Brian, imagine uh, the, the final scene with um, with the boys on the crucifixes. Um, it's it's an RBA kind of reference, an RBA euphemism, if you like, and we'll get into that. Mate, we're also going to talk about... We have to talk about coronavirus, right? Hopefully, maybe if we're lucky for the last time, although we may not be that fortunate. We'll talk about... Wow. Mate, last week I gave you a... I did you a bit of a favour and talked about Apple. For some reason, the investment gods are smiling on you and frankly hate my guts because now we have to talk about Tesla. It jumped 40% in two days. That is unbelievable. And I think you might have a view on this, mate. CBA is becoming the fintech godfather, at least if you believe their press and they certainly believe their own press. And, of course, we'll dip into the Motley Fool mailbag. You ready to go? I am ready to go. Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, buddy. So always look on the bright side of life. (laughs) Couldn't resist. Um, It's not life of Brian. It is the Reserve Bank. Governor Lowe, I'm still getting used to saying Governor Lowe, mate. I still keep wanting to say Governor Stevens in my head. Glenn Stevens, of course, the previous governor, Phil Lowe, the current one. Governor Lowe and his board saying, you know what? Everything's okay. We don't need to cut rates. Yeah, there's coronavirus. Yeah, there's bushfires. Yeah, there's retail woes. But chill out, everybody. It's going to be okay. Is he right? Um, I don't know. He has already cut rates so much. <laughs> There's not much left to cut. So. <laughs> Maybe the side is a bit blunt right now, you reckon? Maybe just- <laughs> so, so, yeah, his, um, his hammer is kind of broken. His knife has no sharp edges. Um, uh, his scissor is kind of blunted. <laughs> <laughs> so, the metaphors so, keep they're very cutting metaphors. <laughs> they're very cutting metaphors. So right. so if you're if you're in you know, if you're in the Governor Low uh position, yeah. I guess the only thing that you can do right now is in, say soothing things. I suppose that. Well, you could so, cut. I mean, there is still room, right? Are they, are they oh, not you cutting can go because... Negative. Oh, I'm sure you can go negative. Well, there's, there's still room between now and negative, right? Where, you know, there's still room for them to cut and say positive if they choose to. Are they keeping ammunition aside for later or are they genuinely not thinking there's need for cutting right now? Well, there's not much ammunition left. That's also true. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> three so, bullets left, is that right? There's three bullets left. Well, technically infinite number of bullets right, left, right. right? You can go as negative as you want. If we get to minus 10% rates, <laughs> mate, you and I are going to be out of a job just quietly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's a little bit of a realization maybe that, mm. you know, um, each rate cut basically doesn't help <laughs> as much as the previous right, one, right? right? right. And, and therefore, you need the um, economy to kind of mend, it, mend its way. Mm. By itself a little bit, and uh, one of the things the central banks around the world like to do is to say <laughs> things will be okay, which is which is fair enough. I mean, you know, a lot of these things are sentiment. Um, yeah, I'm a little I'm a little surprised given the bushfires and the uh, coronavirus. Yeah. Every time you know you, you say corona, I just think about the corona drink. So, <laughs> so, so See, that's that's you. I I once drove a 1979 yellow Toyota Corona, mate. So for me, coronavirus is always going to be a uh, oh my god, a 40 a something year old Toyota with a manual gear stick, which was fun so, to drive, but uh, not quite the uh, not quite the modern Tesla. Put it that way. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably the right decision because, I mean, what would another rate cut really achieve mm. is uh, the question is, and probably the answer is not much. <laughs> so um, I, I think, you know, keeping the rest of the ammunition uh, um, in the bank, mm. <laughs> um, in the revolver bank or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the magazine. Go, in go the magazine. There we go, there we go. Uh, makes the sense. Chamber, yeah. yeah, so I, I can see the rationale behind it. I'm not <laughs> terribly surprised, but yeah. All right, mate. Now, you mentioned coronavirus, so let's go to that one. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Uh, we're going to be at a member event on Friday when we normally record. So this is a Wednesday we're recording this. You, you'll hear it on Friday if the, uh, if the gremlins are kind. Um, so while we're having our meeting with our Platinum members, um, we'll have our podcast going live. So we don't know what's going to happen on Thursday and Friday or even Wednesday yet. That being said, so when we recorded this one, I want to read this from the Sydney Morning Herald, mate. This is the first two two paragraphs of of, uh, of an article published this morning. The Nasdaq hit a record high on Tuesday, and the S and P five hundred headed for its best day in six months, as fears of a heavy economic impact from the coronavirus epidemic tapered off after China's central bank intervened for a second straight day. The Dow Industrials was on pace for its biggest daily percentage gain in eight months. The benchmark S and P five hundred had more than made up for the last week's two percent loss which was its steepest weekly drop in six months. So we've we've gone the space of, what, three or four trading days max from, oh, my God, this is terrible, to, oh, it's fine. I, I, I will say, and, and this might still come back to bite me, we did say last week, just chill the hell out because this is not going to be a big deal, or that's what I said, you may have a different recollection. Um, right now, as of Wednesday morning, it's all over and everything's okay. God knows what happens tomorrow on Friday. Where are we at, mate? What's your take on where the market's at when it comes to coronavirus? Yes, yeah, so this is an interesting one. I mean, I, I really, it's a hard one to pinpoint. I mean, the, the, and the reason I say it's a hard one to pinpoint is um, if you think about, compare this with SARS. Yeah, right. Um, which happened in, I think, back in 2003, I think. Oh, three or yeah, four. Yeah, yeah. Um, at that time, so the total number of infections at that point were, I think, worldwide or was 8,000 or something mm-hmm. like that, 9,000. Mm-hmm. I, mean, actually... I, I was only five at the time, mate. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was not even born. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Go on. Um, and and mm. uh, the total number of deaths were, I think, some small percentage of that. Mm-hmm. Right. We've already exceeded that number for the total number of infections. So, I mean, yeah. infections have actually spread, but I think the total number of deaths are lower. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. So, I think that so is… more virulent, not more dangerous. That's, I think that's, that's the… Well, that's the interpretation I would yeah, okay. make yep. based on what we have heard, okay. right? Um, so that's one thing. I think that's giving people some comfort. Number mm-hmm. two, I would say, is um, the fact that uh, the response this time, I mean, it, it, the response actually appears to some extent maybe overdone, but actually mm-hmm. I like I like the response where people said, okay, we're going to just close our borders. We're going to, well, uh, the Chinese government basically says we're going to close our borders within the states mm-hmm. and the cities and so on. And the Western government basically said, we're going to close our borders to your people. Right. <laughs> now that sounds kind of bad and, uh, <laughs> yes, it does. Y- you know, overdone and all those things. But in this case, mm. I think it makes uh, a lot of sense because um, it this this just happened before sort of the 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 you know the flu season in the northern hemisphere starts right so if that's the case right. then you're sort of able to isolate the normal flu from this sort of flu like symptom that that helps and I think the uh, the prompt government action probably will stop the spread 
right? So, you know, it doesn't become an epidemic in that sense, mm, right? Mm. Uh, and I think that is an advantage. And of course, like everything, whenever something goes wrong, mm. central banks around the world say, hey, here's some more money. So, <laughs> so, so well, that's what they do right now, right? That's, that's what exactly. They write they checks. They, yeah. they, they yeah. write checks, they cut rates, <laughs> uh, they, you know, so they, they, you flood liquidity. Yeah. Um, so, that, I, I mean, is it, this is, I am sure mm. of one thing, that this mm. is going to have an impact on the next half or next quarter of results. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm pretty sure company about. results or economic growth more broadly. Well, both I think okay. economic okay. growth and company results, and and some more affected than others. Yes. Um, you know, back here at home, for example, I think our our you know China is the biggest contributor to tourism. Yep. And that number has basically go to zero yep. <laughs> because they've been banned, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and that's going to have an impact and a flow on impact. Zero is bad, generally speaking. Yeah, zero is right? really yeah. bad, yeah. generally speaking. But I think it's going to have a flow on impact. And again, we have to balance this with yeah. the fact that, you know, what would happen if we had a large spread of this disease, right? right, right. So uh, so that's that. But I think this is, you know, this is a transient. I'm, I'm hopeful this is transient. So so maybe the markets are reacting to that. Oh, but, you know, markets are a bit jumpy. These days. Haven't they? What? Yeah. Now, that, that being said, so, yes, that's also true. So let me put a, my thought on this and I'll ask another question. I think the market always overdoes the fear, generally speaking. Mm. That, you know, SARS was overdone at the time. Corona, I think, is overdone now. Um, remember MERS, the Middle East Respiratory yes. Syndrome, whatever it was called? That one was supposed to be a big deal. You know, these things are massive human impacts. We said last week, and I'll say it again, you know, that human impact, this is far, far more important than any financial impact because that's, you know, real lives either being lost or being meaningfully, you know, impacted, um, relatives losing people or just being sick for long periods of time. Those are real human costs that far outweigh the financial impact. Um, that being said, as a, as a finance podcast, we need to kind of get back to our core business. And that's, to some degree, it's almost always the case that fear goes too far, right? The markets go too far in both directions. And in this case, and in most cases, I think fear does go too far. So I think people were wrong to oversell this one. I will say that our colleague, as I said, Kevin Gandia was saying only on Skype this morning as we chatted, that for all of the potential risks over the last couple of months, the market arguably is even less jumpy than it might have otherwise been. Not in the sense that we want it to be jumpy just because in the past it tends to be more than it was now. His, uh, I don't know if he actually made the point or certainly the inference I took from it was that maybe the market isn't jumpy enough. Maybe that's some sense that you know, investors are too optimistic generally speaking and while the impact and the, the, the negative kind of reaction was bad and I think overdone, in the past, it would have been possibly more overdone, which suggests a sentiment that the market and the investors generally are, you know, good news is great and bad news is not too bad. It, it, does that speak to the mood of the market right now in your mind? Um, I actually like that um, that comment from Kevin. I, I actually add one more little um, I guess uh, color <laughs> to use uh, the horrible, <laughs> oh, horrible dear. analyst chart. You've been on too many earnings calls already. It's only <laughs> um, the, only yeah. the fifth of February so, today. So, so, so let me add the color here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think between the past and the present, I think the, the key big difference is um, interest rates, right? And and I think that plays a big role. And I think there's also a yeah, dramatic right. shift in sort of the type of economies we have now versus in the past. We have a lot of intangible economy, a lot of stuff. Mm. Like, you know, when the Chinese government says work from home, it doesn't actually matter to a lot of companies because <laughs> a lot fair, of companies are actually doing stuff, you know, uh, digitally, uh, online, <laughs> electronically, um, and therefore work from home is the same thing as work from office. So, you know, there's no real loss of productivity in that sense. You have physical goods and physical consumption and all That's those yeah. physical things are impacted. So I think the impacts are also less uh, because, you know, we buy a lot of stuff online, right? You know, you could have all these masked people delivering stuff at home mm-hmm. uh, without That's actually people go- yeah, going yeah. to malls and yeah. getting infected. So uh, I think there's a lot of change in context that I think needs to be um, uh, kept in mind. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, I, 
on yeah, so I mean, the Chinese market apparently fell like what eight percent or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And our market reacted a little bit, and the American market and the other markets reacted sort of similarly, and then they basically got back some of the gains. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I think you know, I think it still reacts um, to the downside mm-hmm. unreasonably and upside unreasonably. But maybe there's some rationale here in terms of the the situation. Now, unfortunately, Matt, we need to talk about Tesla next. I might. I might leave the studio. Hang on. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, you convinced me to stay, but this has got to be quick because there's only so much I can take. Um, Tesla. Well, your, well, is it your favourite company or your second favourite company? Where do you put it relative to Apple? Well, right? I'm going to first say that, you know, people who have been listening to, uh, to a podcast <laughs> here, uh, I'll just remind some of them that, you know, this was uh, a company I put as one of my five buys for 2019. Oh, we should have done that. <laughs> but, we, but I'm just, just, just that. mentioning I'm that. Not doing that. I'm not doing it now. After uh, the shares are up on Tesla, but, I might, but, might but, that one permanently. But, but if people uh, <laughs> listen to that, actually, I think, they would have done well. So, um, you know, uh, let me take a little bit of victory lap while I can. All right, so hopefully our, hopefully our listeners are happy. Hopefully they've made some money. You certainly have over the last couple of days, but you still didn't answer my question. Your favourite company or your second favourite company? Um, it depends. Like, I mean, as a brand, I really like and appreciate the brand mm-hmm. of uh, Apple more than others for Ooh, various okay. other reasons. Yep. But, um, yeah, if I have to name the most disruptive, the most the company with the most opportunity in front of them, the company which can disrupt multiple industries, mm. um, yeah, then there is no other company in my mind that comes even near Tesla. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a high-risk stock with a lot of opportunity optionality. I mean, you know how many companies have CEOs run by somebody who can land a rocket? <laughs> Not one, <laughs> other than amazing, Tesla. It? So, it is amazing. Um, yeah. That is, if you st- honestly, listen, if you haven't seen, and I'm happy most of you have, if you haven't seen the whole Tesla self-landing rocket thing. Not the Tesla, SpaceX. SpaceX, sorry, yeah. you're right, sorry. The Elon Musk self-landing rocket. Do yourself a favor, YouTube that thing, because that is just, you swear you're seeing some video being being kind of, you know, yeah. run in reverse, right? The yeah. thing comes back from space, turns itself around and puts itself back down the launch pad, it, or the landing pad anyway. In just a in just a phenomenal way, just it will blow. It, if it doesn't blow your mind, you're not you're not thinking hard enough because it is just phenomenal. We still didn't answer the question. No, right? we didn't. So let me go back to it, <laughs> just because you want to go back to it. Uh, Tesla. Now this is interesting, mate, because I said this is massively newsworthy, and you said no, it's not newsworthy. I'll let our listeners aside on that one, but far more important than what you're I think about the newsworthiness of it is the fact that Tesla added something like forty billion dollars of market capitalization in two days. The shares are up about, give or take, 40%. Round, round those two numbers off, but close enough that, frankly, that, that's at a level we're going to lose a couple of percentage points either way. It doesn't make much difference. This is just, I can't remember the last time I saw a $100 billion-plus company gain 40% in a couple of days. You get some 5 or 8 or 10% jumps sometimes on one day. For two consecutive days where you get to about 40%, um, it is it blows my mind. I think it's newsworthy. You don't necessarily because you think it kind of should have been assumed or at least the, the movement isn't unreasonable. In any case, the company worth a truckload more than it was as we started the week. Um, thankfully for you, your portfolio is worth a bit more. Unfortunately for me, my portfolio is worth exactly the same because I don't own Tesla. Uh, what's going... I mean, for listeners who are following the story, um, we don't have time to do the whole the whole potted history, but what's changed for Tesla or the Tesla stock, maybe more importantly, and, and at a 40% higher share price, is now the time to be a little bit more cautious given the change in value? So uh, I'm going to backtrack a little bit to what I said. And, you know, you might, as you said, you know, it's not relevant to the 30, 20% or 20% and then today 13% gain um, on the share price. But but the the way I look at this, look at this is 
if I go back five years, then mm. Tesla delivered 30,000 vehicles or something like that. Um, uh, last year, they delivered over 360,000 vehicles. So that's about a 12x. That's yep. 12x. Yep. Uh, if we go back seven years, then Tesla's total number of sales have gone up some 47x, mm -hmm. right? Clearly, the shares in that time have actually not done that, mm. right? So now I'm not suggesting the shares were fairly valued at that point or overvalued or undervalued, mm. but mm. Um, effectively, the shares were sideways trading to, mm -hmm. for a horrible uh, word or <laughs> way of explaining it, but the shares basically had not gone anywhere for a long time, yep. right? Until very recently. And uh, so I think a number of things have happened. You know, this is one of the most uh, hated or most loved and most divisive stocks <laughs> yeah, on the market. Positive, absolutely, um, that's true, uh, for sure. It is, um, <laughs> you know, most value investors would not get this stock because they just can't get it. Right. Um, a lot of growth investors would not touch it because it's Elon Musk uh, who says lots of different things. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of different things have happened. I think, you know, this is the heavy, so, so just to backtrack, this is the most heavily shorted stock on, on NASDAQ on a market capitalization basis. Right. Not in pure dollar basis, but in terms of percentage. It's the most heavy, oh, okay, right. heavily shorted stock in the American market. That's probably in the world. And just and just to, again, for most people who are listening, they know what that is, but this, is, this means that this company has more people proportionally betting against it, success, yeah. than any other company in the US. So exactly. it, it, there's, it's got a lot of fans, a lot of detractors, and the detractors at least are putting their money where their mouth is in a way they haven't done for any other company currently on the US markets. Yeah, and and what what basically the thesis has been for this beautiful thing called Tesla Q, um, <laughs> uh, Tesla Q basically stands for this company is going to zero effectively, uh, is that, you know, uh, yes, they're a niche player in the EV market. Other players are going to come. They're going to be so-called Tesla killers. Mm -hmm. um, the demand for Model 3, which is the latest model that they've come out, is falling through the cliff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Elon Musk is uh, you know, unstable. This company cannot generate profits or free cash flow yeah. uh, there's too much debt it's going to just blow up under its debt and basically what has happened over the past year is they have slowly but steadily debunked each and every one of those bear cases basically mm -hmm. this there is no tesla killer tesla is the ice ICE or internal combustion engine killer. Mm -hmm. um, the example I give is the Super Bowl, which is this big thing that happens in America. Well, let's not go into that. But you know, <laughs> there are lots of EV ads. None of them were for Tesla. Okay. <laughs> right. Other people are trying to make Tesla killers, but nobody has been able to make one. That's right. important. Right. Um, this company in the last quarter just generated a billion dollars in one quarter of free cash flow. Mm -hmm. Its cash balance has never been better. Um, it's projecting a 50% increase in deliveries. It's executing ahead of schedule on probably one of the most important products it's going to have, which is the Model Y, which is the compact SUV segment. Mm -hmm. And its cars are basically selling like hotcakes. Um, it has the best autonomous, the you know most advanced autonomous system in the world. It's got the most amount of data for basically making self-driving cars well ahead of Waymo. Waymo is number two with 10 million miles. Tesla has got 2 billion miles of data. Mm -hmm. And I've just talked about cars and autonomous. <laughs> we have not even talked about energy storage, you know, the, the big battery plant mm. that they run in South Australia, for example, mm -hmm. right? Um, so this is a company that's, on, in, at least in my mind, in three different markets, which individually are probably worth a trillion dollars. You don't need a lot uh, of that $3 trillion market to actually make this a humongous, successful company. I'm going to assume you think it's still the buy then. Um, yeah, like, I mean, here's the thing. If somebody, I, I tell this to others. Anybody who's a growth investor that has not invested in Tesla, and I'm not telling people what they should do. Mm -hmm. um, if you invest in Tesla, assume that it's going to fall by 50% one day and then go up by 50% some right, other right. day. Yep. Um, but, 
if you can tolerate volatility and you can think long term, then in my mind, there is no other company worth putting dollars in other than Tesla in terms of at least having some bits of money in it, right? Um, is it without risk? Nothing is without risk in the market. And that's that's the fair point. Is you know, is it it's like basically saying when Apple was worth a hundred billion dollars, we could have said, Oh, it's worth a hundred billion dollars, mm, mm, right? Mm. Today it's one point four billion dollars. One point four trillion right, right. dollars. Right? Fourteen times the size they're doing the maths at home. Yeah, fourteen times the size. That's a fourteen, fifteen bagger from that yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, that is huge, right? Um so I think you know, it's always easy to, and I think there's a lot of I think uh, anchoring happening. People are looking at the you know, share price. Oh, it's up eighty percent over the in over this year. What people are forgetting is how the shares have actually done nothing. Yeah. For and, and as I as I pointing out to people, over the last five years, the total amount of gain on Tesla is still. I think when I did the maths last couple of mm-hmm. days back, it was still less than Amazon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, in my mind, Amazon that doesn't have that optionality ahead of it as yeah, yeah. Tesla has ahead of it. So yeah. I mean, you know, I think there's a little bit of catch up is going on. It sounds weird. Sounds you know illogical, but. Um, you know, the market is not efficient. If the market was efficient, it would have priced it differently at different points in time. So I think yeah. there's a little bit of catch-up going on. Very good. I uh, am not a Tesla shareholder to my financial chagrin, if nothing else, at the moment. Uh, I haven't yet been convinced, but you make a very compelling argument, mate. So there may yet at some point come a time when I'm a Tesla shareholder and you know, probably that might be the time to sell. <laughs> we'll find out. We will see. Let me know. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, buddy. I want to do a quick one. This is not going to take us too long. I saw during the week Commonwealth Bank has announced plans to invest in a whole host of financial technology companies or fintech, as the jargon likes to separate these things. Which we had, um, well, Tom and Katie were Tomcat and there was a whole lot of others. We're now combining words because it seems like it's a fun, cool thing to do. So fintech is the most recent. Um Look, I get why Comsec or Commonwealth Bank, I should say, want to be in the financial technology game. I think they know, as we know, and you certainly said before, that banking disruption is coming. They figure their best chance of either beating it or being part of it is to literally take part and actually be uh, involved in that. They want to take ownership stakes um, in other founders' fintech businesses to try and leapfrog their would-be competitors, try and stay at the forefront. I d- Australian big... Big Australian companies had to have a wonderful record, frankly. Tesla, uh, Tesla, am I going? Telstra tried to do this. Um, two disappointing results. Uyali was their video streaming business they bought at some point, and then I think wrote down almost exactly zero, if not pretty close. Um, I don't look. If you if you if you throw enough stones, eventually you you get a target, I suppose. So I guess if CBA invests in enough stuff, odds are they'll finally have one winner they can trumpet. But on the other side of this. I just don't know whether investing in startups, it's, I mean, we, you know, it's a very specific skill set, right? I can't go and start a bank tomorrow because I don't really know what is required to do banking. I can say, well, I can take deposits and make loans. How hard can it be? Um, Commonwealth Bank would write this out to me, dude, it's a bit more to banking than just that. Do you really think they have the DNA to be effectively startup, early stage venture capital investors? Are they, are they kidding themselves or is this a bet worth making? Because if they do manage to strike it rich with the next afterpay or the next something else, uh, there's there's plenty of money to be made. Um, I have very uh, strong views on this, <laughs> as you'd imagine. Not like you? Oh, that's not like me. Like I mean, my, my general view is that the banks are. Um, I just hope that they do their current banking 
job properly. <laughs> like, um, to give you an example, you know, oh, about, no. oh, let me give you oh, an example. Um, <laughs> I had about $1,800 <laughs> taken out of our St. John's, uh, St. George savings account. And uh, yeah, the bank is still trying to actually find the money. Isn't the price of an iPhone? You, you weren't buying an iPhone, you sleep or well, something, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, the money was taken out, <laughs> given to other people. So basically, you know, direct debited by other yeah. people and, you know, nobody. So, so yeah. effectively someone def- you know, fraudulently used your banking details to pay for stuff. Yeah. And, and you're still waiting to get it back. I'm still waiting to get it. So this, has it been a month? It's been, it's been over, nearly a month at least, I think. Yeah. So 14th of, I think 13th or 14th of January. Um, uh, yeah, best part uh, of the month. Yeah, best part of the month. Good four over, weeks anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, my general impression is that you know if you can just do the banking job properly I think mm. <laughs> that would be a good starting point if you can't do that <laughs> um, you know uh, I think it's asking for more more broadly I think you see like investing in startups that requires a very different skill set right yeah. so you yeah. you know you need to have a venture mindset you need to have the right people to make those right decisions yeah, right. Um, do you even have that capability of doing that right have you actually invested to do that I mean it's mm-hmm. in theory it's possible maybe what they should do is they should just buy um, a venture unit right <laughs> oh that's an interesting idea right you buy a venture unit if you want to do this buy yeah. a venture fund so, so you, you buy a fund or a team and you say right you guys are working as a a VC effectively yeah. standalone business within Commonwealth Bank. That's a smart idea. Yeah, I, like I that. mean, that's what I would do instead of trying to just randomly buy random stuff with some random talent. <laughs> um, the other option, though, of course, is they could wait until this thing's got a bit bigger. Simply forego the early gains and wait till this is a bit more proven and buy them as existing operating businesses. Is that that? That's what I would have done. I like your idea probably more than mine, actually. But but before before we came in here, I was thinking, well, they should. You know, why why make the early stage super risky bet? Why not wait longer in a company's life cycle? Wait till it's proven. If they bought Afterpay at two, three, four dollars a share, they would have captured most of the value, but they wouldn't have had to buy it super early on. They could have waited until it got traction and said, Great, we'll have some of that. Thanks very much. But even that, I think the problem with that is that you need to have a really solid uh, margin acquisitions team. Yeah. You need people to be able to, again, make those decisions, make them in a way. I, I mean, basically, you're asking them to be share market investors, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. in, in some sense, um, in, investors in, you know, relatively, you know, mid stage to early stage, early to, you know, late early stage to mid stage sort of companies. Yeah, right. Um, that's, again, incredibly hard. Again, mm-hmm. I, you'd need mm-hmm. to hire a talent or a team or a group of people that actually are capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, in all honesty, I think that these really big dinosaur-style businesses, I mean, they're, they're better off just paying the dividend. I mean, yeah, right. if you're generating cash, just pay it back to your shareholders. And Except uh, that you also think banks are going to be disrupted, right? So if they just did that, aren't they consigning themselves to oblivion? That's okay. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's for you, not for their shareholders. <laughs> well, the shareholders should really think about when they're paying 18, 20 times for banks. <laughs> but, but, you know, I here's the thing, right? Mm. I mean, you can... The question really would be, do we really believe mm. that these companies have the capability of making that transformative bet, mm. right? Mm. And maybe they do, but there's enough instances where um, old school companies have tried to make these bets and have failed because I think they've not gone about the right way, right? Mm. I mean, the, the there's various pushes and pulls within a company that's going to make it hard, for example, you know, to do it. Um yeah. So, I mean, I, I get it, why they want to do it. You know, they feel that they're going to be, you know, disrupted by this new age banks. 
uh, new products, you mm-hmm. know, maybe Bitcoin, maybe digital money, you know, lots of different things, right? And maybe Facebook's Libra. They, they probably, like, you know, they feel, <laughs> on the, you know, uh, all these buy now, pay later solutions, right? I mean, you know, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't look like a very... Um, it looks like a little bit of a scattergun type of approach, you know, where I'm just investing a bunch of things and then see what's going to happen. Um, feels a bit that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels a little bit, you know, it, it, yeah, I would not. Thumbs down. Uh, You're not going to buy Commonwealth Thanks just as a result, put it that way. Uh, no. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, buddy, time for us to do our usual and dip deep into the Motley Fool mailbag. Mate, I love this first question. It's, a, it's an older question. We got it a couple of weeks ago, and we're, we're diligently working our way through the mailbag. As I said, it's very deep and very full. We will desperately try and do our best to get there. Uh, mate, this is a great question from Russ. Russ hits us up on Twitter and says, Hi, gents. Do you ever worry about getting caught up in the hype of company narratives? He highlights Berkshire Hathaway and Tesla for, I don't know what reason. Clearly he thinks you love Berkshire and I love Tesla, but <laughs> let's, let's, assume, let's assume hypothetically he's right. Um, do you ever worry about getting caught up in the narratives and miss red flags or poor fundamentals? I, I love this question. Of course, my, my tongue-in-cheek answer to Russ on Twitter was, of course not, these are great companies. Or maybe it said Berkshire was a great company. I'm not sure. In any case, I, I love the question because it really, like, you are super, super bullish on Tesla. I'm super bullish on Berkshire. I worry about your bullishness on Tesla. You're at my bullishness on Berkshire. To some degree, despite each other's doubts, we still have a decent degree of, I would say, unshakable faith, but pretty strong faith in those two businesses and plenty of others beside. So let me throw the question to you first, mate, because I like giving you the hard ones. How do you How do you try and keep those two thoughts in your head? The thought of, you know, overwhelming positivity and belief at the same time as thinking, yeah, but I could be wrong and here's how I need to think about that to make sure I'm not letting my own confidence, the hype, the momentum, the track record, the history, the reputation, all those things. And I'll answer the same question, by the way. So there's not just Tesla, this is a generic one for both companies. How do you how do you keep both those thoughts in your head at the same time and avoid the risk that your optimism will lead you into a trap? Yeah, this is a great question. I mean, there's no perfect answer to this. So... Um, the simple solution in my mind is I think there's a style or an approach as an investor that that's what I take. Um, so as, as an investor, I think of, um, you know, I think of the downside and I think of the upside, mm-hmm. right? And if, if I think that the downside is 50%, but the upside is 10x, mm. right? Um, in, in sort of that ballpark, then it sort of make, helps me make a decision as, you know, okay, fine, there's narratives around the uh, you know the bear case there are narratives around mm. the bull case mm. but if i am convinced about the narratives around the you know the bull case then i i, f- I focus on the fact that you know there's, there's a certain amount of downside there's a certain amount of upside and all that effectively it comes down to being a position sizing game right okay. you, you size you size the positions ba- based on um how you feel about that right mm. now the type of investing i do the i can there be a limited number of companies that I would choose that would meet a certain threshold of that sort of, you know, dynamic as mm-hmm. an example, mm-hmm. right? Um, do I get caught up? Here's the thing about getting caught up with uh, with narratives, right? The problem with narratives are narratives are fundamentally dangerous. And mm-hmm. they're fundamentally dangerous because of the way narratives are disseminated. So there's a huge narrative, I'll use Tesla as an example, around what's called the Tesla Q narrative, right? Now, you can either listen to it and say this is too hard or you can do a little bit of digging and and try to question whether or not they're correct. And if you can arrive at whatever conclusion you think is appropriate and make a decision based on that. But I think it's dangerous 
in today's age to get caught up with other people's narratives, right? Mm. And, and, and you know, the other thing I, you know, I, men- I, I mentioned this on, on our Skype channels is I am actually le- really leery of uh, smart-sounding uh, lines, smart-sounding write-ups because often mm. what I find is smart-sounding lines and smart-sounding write-ups are hollow from a detail point of view. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, because right? Uh, well, no, I, and in my opinion, are hollow most of the time. And the reason okay. behind that is most of the people who make these comments are actually writers, mm-hmm. and they they might be writers, but they're actually not technically aware of what's going on, mm-hmm. and they don't have the capability to be technically aware. And and therefore, should I really take their views seriously? Right, so I would take the views of other type of investors mm-hmm. when um, I, I, you know, so yeah, so I, I actually stay away from narratives that other people have mm. or other people mm. propagate um, and build my own narratives. Let me ask you a second follow up question, just quickly. How do you keep enough doubt in your own narrative? So not being swayed by others, I think, is really important. And, and you mentioned the fact that your style is important and the and the position sizing is important. I think they're really great answers. How how do you leave room for the the view you have about a part of the business, the whole business, something really important to the narrative or not, so narrative is the wrong word because I, I take your point about the difference between a narrative story and the thesis. So maybe we should use thesis. Some of the important parts of the thesis, if they start to crack, how do you give yourself enough room to accept that cracking rather than let your positivity or optimism overwhelm that, yeah, it's cracking, but it's okay type stuff. I've made mistakes in the past where I've said, yeah, okay, that's a problem, but I'm sure everything else will be fine. I've let that optimism override those creeping doubts or maybe the red flags that start to appear, I kind of push them down because of my positivity. How do you how do you avoid that? Or, or can you avoid it? Or maybe do we just accept that's part of investing? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think the answer to that, it, it varies basically on context. So on, on on some cases, I think I tend to give, uh, it's again what I do personally, and I would not recommend anybody do this because you can everybody needs to find a process that works for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am on a company-to-company basis specifically or on a company company basis mm. i am i take individual decisions in the sense that you know in some companies i'll be willing to offer more rope some company i'll be willing to offer significantly less rope okay. right? right and uh, the amount of rope i offer would depend on a bunch of different things which is you know sometimes it's, it's just it's a very that is really a qualitative decision making okay. process yeah, not yeah. a quantitative decision making process um Right, so so I think that's yeah, and again there too, I just look at the upside versus the downside as well. When I make at the point I'm making, trying to make the decision. Um, Nice. Does track record help, or is it pure opportunity? Which companies get more rope? Um, So track record helps. So so what I, I think in my mind, what helps is brand. Okay. Um, I actually really don't care about the track record. What I, because what really matters is brand. Because brand, a solid brand, enough in many things, especially if you're if at least in the in sort of consumer discretionary space. Mm-hmm. If if it's a big brand, it can withstand a lot. Withstand a lot of things. If it's a big brand with a big balance sheet, it can withstand pretty much like a tornado. Right. Right. So plenty uh, of time and plenty of opportunity to fix the problem. Fix the problems. Whereas for things that are more business facing, I think I look at stickiness and how sticky things are. Right. Right. Um, you know, I actually downplay things like technology lead and so on because that can get eroded relatively quickly mm. if there's problems for extended period of time. Um, but I do look at stickiness that arise out of things like, you know, um, to give an example, if Madara, for example, is a good example, right? There is no reason that somebody else cannot build another search engine that's just as good as Google. Right. Right. But why has nobody built one? 
that's the question to mm-hmm. ask, right? And I think it's just a data advantage there. Like, you that's know, it's, point, at yeah. some point, the exponential amount of data basically makes it very difficult to produce something that's effectively as good. And therefore, other people just basically let you run mm-hmm. unless the paradigm mm-hmm. shifts, at which point somebody else can come in. That's interesting. So uh, we need to be on cuts because we're running out of time. But if you look at Yahoo and Google, for example, in the past, Google, uh, Yahoo was never quite big enough, had enough scale, had enough data, had enough of a, f- a lead. Someone could overwhelm it. The answer was, in this case, Google. Yeah. Your argument is potentially that at this point, because of the sheer length of dominance number, you know, the data builds over time. It's a sequential thing that once you get a certain amount of lead, you're almost uncatchable, at least in In that paradigm. Right. So in the the search paradigm, I think, you know, basically, I mean, there are other good search engines that are just as good, right? right? I mean, no, but not quite. Like, you know, whether it's Bing or DuckDuckGo, it's just, there's a little bit. And And you could use them, but why would you unless? Yeah, it's that sort of thing, right? But, you know, but that doesn't mean that if the paradigm shifts a little bit, I mean, basically, search could disappear all of a sudden because it's no longer necessary in a paradigm <laughs> yeah, shift world, yeah, yeah. right? So I'm wary of paradigm shifts, right. uh, but but sometimes you can spot paradigm shifts happening, yeah. and those are great ones to ride because when the paradigm shift is happening, if you catch that paradigm shift early, mm-hmm. like cloud paradigm shift was one of them, right? If yeah, you right. could ride the cloud wave, then you made a lot of money in the process. I've got us way off track, uh, Russ. I'm going to answer answer the question. So almost same as like, look, I'm not going to spend more time on this. Um, track record to me matters a little bit more than it does to Doc, particularly in Berkshire's case. And maybe this is company specific. If you ask about those two businesses, Buffett's got fifty-five years of running Berkshire. I'm happy speaking of Doc's point about rope. Um, to my mind, the, the 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 performance, the results, the intellectual power that he brings to that business is more than enough for me to say, you know what? Um, it would take a decent amount, a decent chunk of kind of rethinking to imagine how that works. I think your question is dead right, and I agree with Doc as well on position sizing. Um, I think I just double click on Doc's point about the. The value of um, the amount of rope you give a company based on what it does and how it's operated, both currently and in the past, um, you know, the the risk of being wrong versus the potential being right, I think is probably where I draw that line. And frankly, at some point, the downside upside story, right? I think Berkshire's got enough firepower, for example, you know, in, in its business um, between Buffett, his investment managers, and frankly, the ongoing businesses that they run that are already going to throw off cash year after year after year. The incremental value required to add meaningful returns to Berkshire um, is, a, is a bit, quite frankly, is a whole lot of cash. On the flip side, the underlying businesses themselves have enough kind of earnings power to minimize the downside from an earnings perspective, from a quality perspective for probably decades, quite frankly. Now, it doesn't mean it'll beat the market necessarily. Um, that's a different question. But from a downside perspective, I think there's, there's a decent amount of protection. Um, I think the last thing I'd say is I have at share, Montlefield Share Advisor, which I run, Doc runs Extreme Opportunities, at Share Advisor, I've long taken the view of we buy slowly and sell even slower. And the idea there is if we're buying quality in the first place, we, we will absolutely have companies that go badly after that and we don't we don't shy away from that. But if we buy well in the first instance and do that regularly across a portfolio, back to Doc's point about position sizing, that's far more useful than trying to second guess every time and maybe selling because maybe something's going to go wrong. Um, as Doc's already said, and we've talked about Tesla a couple of times already, you know, there are reasons to have red flags on Tesla right now. If Doc had sold out because of red flag X, Y, or Z a month ago, a year ago, three years ago, um, that 12x of volume, that that you know massive growth in the share price, that stuff would have been missed out. And so you kind of think about both the downside and the upside, but just more broadly, if you think you've bought quality in the first place, my general view is you should be pretty slow to sell. Any more on that, Doc? No, I think that, that covers it. Let's go a question from Mitch, mate. Uh, so Mitch says, and Mitch has read the memo. Well, first, mm-hmm. it's an Insta question, mate, so get excited. 
Okay. There, there is, there is. I don't know if we'll get to this one today, but there is a hashtag out there, get doc on Insta, which came up again during the week, just, just for the reference. Uh-huh. Mitch says, hey, guys, firstly, what a great podcast for people wanting to gain the ultimate goal of financial freedom. How good's that? That's awesome. Love it. Well, Love then, it, Mitch, Mitch. Not only was it a nice thing to say, but you know how to get your question answered, mate, so well done. He says, I'm a 21-year-old finance student. I don't like you already, and I'm currently <laughs> thinking ultra long-term. I recently had a chat with a friend who urged me to think of diversifying globally with a low-cost ETF to get exposure to the likes of Alphabet, that's Google, Alibaba, and, of course, the doc's favourite, Apple. I'm not sure if it's still your favourite. I think, I, think, I, I think it's still your favourite. Yes, it's my favourite brand. All right. I can see some merits in this approach, but the dollar's so weak, it is, curr- is it currently higher risk? What part do exchange rates play when investing internationally? Would love to know your thoughts full on. Mitch, that's a very, very good question. And uh, I have international investments. Doc has international investments. You do more than I do, Doc, in terms of your activity around that. So thinking about investing internationally now, if you didn't have an investment portfolio, an international investment portfolio right now, would you be taking your Australian dollars and investing overseas? That's a great question, uh, Mitch. Um, You know, like, I guess the very high-level answer to that is Australian equities are about 2% of the world's equities. Mm -hmm. So uh, international doesn't necessarily have to mean uh, the U.S., right? I mean, the U.S. is the largest market, but it's only about 37, 38, or maybe 40% of the world market. There's a whole heap of markets outside of that as well, sure. um, so uh, so that's that's number one. Number two is that you know if, if our market is two percent, um, and if you're you know you live here, you work here, you study here, mm-hmm. you know you have all, all these assets and ties locally, um, it just makes sense to diversify and have assets in other um, you know in other countries. Mm. Right. In terms of whether, I mean, it's hard because the the exchange rate doesn't look uh, that great. But, you know, um, over the long term, I guess you are basically comparing, you're making two decisions here. What is Mm. going to be the long term average for the Australian dollar to uh, the US dollar or any other currency that you are or any other currency that you're considering investing in? And then you're probably really thinking about what's a return you can get from that investment over the long term. And, And therefore... You know, net net, uh, are you going to be significantly ahead or not? And if the answer is yes, then uh, you you're not only diversifying your, but you're also getting access to great companies, and mm. probably exchange rate doesn't matter. I actually don't really think a lot about the exchange rate. My um, my own personal rule of thumb is I want to find uh, for an investment, I guess. Um, um, category or group or you know my investment philosophy i want to find the best companies i can right. uh at the best possible price so that have the best possible upside mm-hmm. um and then i invest and i don't really worry at that point about currencies I, yeah you know i do worry about one thing i i worry about investing in emerging markets mm-hmm. where um you could have a significant loss in terms of the currency depreciation right so that's uh, interesting so that's okay. the one thing i try to keep in mind but that right. i don't think happens that, Investing in Venezuela would have been expensive. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, even in India too, very in, inflation. Right, okay. I mean, India is a growth market, but it has not been a growth market for some time. Um, and uh, the inflation is pretty high. If you're getting 8 9% inflation, but you get only like, you know, 7% returns, you're actually going backwards <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, the currency actually tends to fall. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so I think that's where I think. But in the, the most developed markets, when, but, you know, if you're thinking about Japan or even Europe or mm-hmm. Americas, I think... 
you know, currency is likely to not be a big factor, but yes, it can be a big factor. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, this is a personal decision people have to make as to you know how much they're comfortable, what the time frame, and so on. But if somebody has a longish time frame, I think I feel, you know, that's yeah, I take a longish time frame and I don't worry about it. If if I was retiring soon or something like that, yeah. I would then uh, worry about it because because I need the cash. If I need the cash, especially if I need the cash, then I would really think about it very hard. Yeah, uh, Mitch, you're 21, dude. Just get on with it. Um, <laughs> I, I think. Look. It, it, frankly, taking the money back is going to be far more important, right? If you can invest in an ETF now, sell it when you're 60 and the ETF's gone up by, let's conservatively pick a number and say 20-fold because that's probably what's going to happen over 45 years. Um, it, you know, it, it, frankly, at that point, it's a, the, the money the money you bring back is far, far more important, right, at that level than what you're sending across. You're sending 100 bucks over, you're going to take 20 grand back, $2,000 back, whatever number I started with. I can't remember the math now. Um, you know, the, the simple reality is it's far more of that important, the, the price you bring it back at than what you send it over at. Now, the mass isn't hugely different, but you get the idea. Um, and so that's important, as Doc said, when you bring the money back, how you bring it back, super important. I do think about currency, but only to the extremes. At $1.10, it was a no-brainer to send money to the US. If the currency fell to 45 cents, I would sell everything I own in the US and bring it back here because it's just, you know, you, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Frankly, the average long run is about 80 cents, depending on who you ask. Um, who knows what's going to be in the future over the next 10, 20 years, either side of that. It's kind of just, you know, it feels like a big difference, right? 80 cents to 67 cents, call that, 15, 18%, um, it's not nothing. But again, if you can if you can 20x your money and take an 18% haircut on the way back, I reckon that's a pretty good deal. It's kind of one worth taking. So of course, if we had perfect information, we wouldn't do it. The bigger risk, frankly, than currency is not getting started early enough because you're worried about currency. I think that's going to impact your returns. I mean, look, let's say it's 18% discount. Let's say you buy your dollars 18% too inexpensively. That's a year and a half's gains, right? Over 20 years, would you give a year and a half gains to get that 20-year return in a heartbeat? So, Mitch, I would absolutely do it. Now, speaking of which, Doc, I want to let our listeners know Motley Fool Share Advisor is the service I run, and that has not only one ASX recommendation every month, but also one US recommendation every month. So for investors, we didn't plant this question, by the way, which is real, uh, but for investors looking for both Australian and US stock picks, I can highly recommend, because I run it, Motley Fool Share Advisor. Now, if you want to join that service, I hope you do, I hope you will, you can go to a special page that's set up just for this podcast by the good folks at The Motley Fool. The tech team have done a wonderful job. Go to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. SA for share advisor, if that helps. Fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. And you can get a very special deal to join Motley Fool share advisor. As I said, one ASX stock, one US stock. Surprise, surprise. Those are both beating the market. And by the way, we get the US stock ideas from our US friends, our cousins at the Motley Fool US business. We vet them and determine them, but we use their research, and that's currently doing even better. Uh, both the US and the ASX stocks are market beating as a scorecard, and the US doing even better than the ASX. So I reckon, very good idea. Join us at Motley Fool Share Advisor. A very good deal. Go to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast and get the best that Motley Fool Share Advisor has to offer. Get two stocks picks for the price of one. Well, and it's a bloody cheap price, just quietly. Mm. Less than a cup of coffee a week, guys. Like if, oh. you know, each their own. I don't know of better value. You can pay your fund manager one percent of a decent amount of money, and you know he'll have a nice holiday. Or you can pay us a reasonably small amount of money, cup of coffee a week, give or take. Uh, and I reckon that there's a decent chance. No guarantees, of course. Financial services rules apply. We can't make guarantees or promises, and we would never do it anyway. But a very, very good chance that your membership fee will be paid for if you can invest some money behind some of our recommendations. At least that's been the past history. That's our aim for the future as well. 
at a good enough ad, mate, you reckon? People, are people doing it? Um, they should. I mean, you know, two for the price of one, less than coffee, I mean, less than a beer. Not a bad deal, is it? Uh, doesn't, you know, less than a burger. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, sounds pretty good to me, too. I'm right? Motley Fool Share Advisor at fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. Mate, we're done. That wraps us up. Cool. But before we go, don't forget, our listeners can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or their favourite Android podcast app. Does Tesla have a podcast app yet? Oh, I'm not sure. Sure, probably should, shouldn't it? Um, I guess it does, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't tried it out. You should. See if you can get the uh, Motley for Money podcast on your Tesla. Let us know next week. Okay. I'll yeah. try it out. <laughs> In the meantime, if you like what we're doing, please do subscribe, download, have a listen, and give us a rating. Five stars would be lovely if you wouldn't mind. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. We're sure they could use a little foolish straight talk too. And don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox. I tend to write about three emails a week, give or take. You'll get some marketing, some ads from us as well. Full disclosure, at fool.com.au forward slash... Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. A special episode, by the way, on Sunday, an interview. Stay tuned for that one. And then we'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.